Please turn with me to the book of Luke. We're at the very end of Luke today, Luke 24. The last few verses. We're going to be starting at verse 44. So Luke 24, 44. Have you ever seen the movie The Spanish Prisoner? Great movie. A movie from the 90s where a man who has invented something quite lucrative goes on a corporate retreat with his company to the Caribbean. There he is introduced to some wealthy people, Steve Martin, who are also staying there. They're friendly and they invite him back to dinner in New York. They all meet up and everything seems normal and great until it isn't. And suddenly he finds himself embroiled in a set of circumstances quite out of his control. His new friends, whom we know now are con artists, have set him up. And as he tries to explain to the police what has happened, because now he's in quite a bit of trouble, he realizes that he doesn't understand anything. He doesn't know who to trust. He can't tell what's real and what's a sham. He's completely confused, taking us with him. When we're enveloped in stories like this, we see that there's a difference between something being confusing and something outside the realm of our understanding, which we would call mystery. Confusion occurs when facts are intentionally obscured by someone, like in this movie, someone playing a trick. Confusion can occur because of our own lack of understanding when there's disorder and chaos, it's hard to find out what's true. Mystery is different. Mystery is not necessarily negative. Often it is good. It means something is unexplainable because we can't comprehend its vastness or we don't have enough facts or language or categories to wrap our heads around it. In our scripture today, we find Jesus at the end of his time on earth. As we read, one of the hallmarks most noticeable is how Jesus takes time to explain what is happening to the disciples. You see, he is not a God of disorder or chaos. It is not his intent that those who follow him would wonder where he is or what he expects. He is an infinite God whose very nature can be hard for us to fathom. There's much mystery surrounding some concepts that we accept as faith. How can God be fully God and fully man? Jesus. How can the Red Sea be parted with a staff? How can God be equally Father, Son, and Spirit? We wrestle with these truths that we have a hard time understanding due to their mystery. But it is not God's plan for us to exist in a state of confusion about it. He doesn't trick us or hide his truth from us. He doesn't lie to us to get us to do something that we are unwilling to give otherwise. He lives to assure us and give us peace. So let us hear the word of the Lord from the very end of Luke, Luke 24, starting at verse 44. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple, blessing God. Father, we thank you for this word, and we ask that you would make things clear to us, clearer, by your Holy Spirit dwelling among us and in us. Amen. In Luke, the whole resurrection event is contained in a single chapter. And it reads as though Jesus ascended the same day he resurrected, although we know he did not. Jesus left to go to heaven on the 40th day of Easter, 10 days before the Spirit was sent on the church. Luke has compressed the story, but there are some unique elements There is an empty tomb, which the women find, and then the angels tell them that Jesus is risen. There are events on the road to Emmaus, which we know did happen the same day. Then right after, those who had been on the road rush back to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive, and suddenly he is among them, asking them to touch his hands and his side. Then he eats a piece of fish, and bam, word verse 44. What stood out to me about this passage is how Jesus is seeking to give clarity to those who are following him, not not wanting them to be confused, wanting them to know him well, as fully as they can. So Jesus wants to make four things abundantly clear to his followers here, what has happened, what their role will be, what will happen next, and what his blessing is for them. These are the four elements that we're going to talk about as we break down things a bit together. The first aspect that Jesus is clear about is how his life, death, and resurrection can be found from the scriptures that they study daily. As he explains what they have all experienced together, he puts it in the context of the three main parts of the holy writings, the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He reminds them that he has spoken to them about this in his years together with them. But now they need to understand further what is happening. Luke says that Jesus opened their minds, meaning that they had not yet made the full connection between what they had just experienced and the writings that predicted this. Jesus is teaching them still, telling them how the scripture is in sync with his life and death. They each inform the other. The scripture points to Jesus, the Messiah, and Jesus is the embodiment of God's plan, the continuation of all he revealed to Israel. We don't know what scriptures Jesus spoke of, but we can take some educated guesses. From Isaiah 53, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. 
like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Psalm 69, insults have broken my heart, so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Psalm 49, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave, for he shall receive me. Psalm 16, therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Jesus is trying to tell them it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise on the third day. Not just a terrible thing he had to endure, but he had to die to restore order, to redeem creation, to bring a new way for people to be forgiven, to make rising again something tangible for all people, and in so doing... He fulfilled the prophecies made about him. There are many predictions made about Christ, and he is plainly telling them some of these, revealing to them fully that he is the Messiah, the promised one. Sometimes in hindsight, circumstances become clear, and having the Lord explain things to them in this way perhaps helped them to put things together Like puzzle pieces not yet completed, Jesus arranges ideas and truths so that they can see the whole picture. We always read the New Testament with what has been given to us from the Hebrew scriptures and vice versa. Because they are the entire story of God for all time. Scripture informs us today about what God is doing and what will happen next. So we too need to be watching and seeing the signs to show, so the Lord will show us how it's all coming together. The second aspect Jesus is clear about is what he wants them to do next. He is instructing them so that they might go out and teach others about him. Before, remember, he had sent them out two by two so that they might learn how to fish for souls. Now as they go, it is their job to tell people what has happened. They get to teach others about repentance and the forgiveness of sins. This underscores what he had said to them. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. What does God want you to teach? We so often just think of this, I think, in terms of cold call evangelism, but we teach every day in our lives about what it means to be sorry for our sin, how God's forgiveness is available for all who do wrong. I think that probably all of us do this more naturally than we think. And whenever we're humble, whenever we ask for forgiveness, and whenever we say, God's love is for you, we're proclaiming the good news of Christ. The church expresses itself in many ways like he did. He came alongside the poor. 
We tell of his sacrifice. We work to end slavery. We offer forgiveness to those who don't know that it's for them. All in the name of Jesus. In addition, they are witnesses, not just of his life and death, but also they're witnesses of this moment. They are accountable to one another now for what they've heard and what it is that he is asking them to do. You see, this is what the gathered community still here is about, that we help one another to live with integrity to all that God has called us to do. We help one another to love, to discern how to live in these days in the power of God. He also tells them to stay put, stay in Jerusalem, stay in the city until the spirit comes. Oh, can I get an amen about how waiting on God is difficult? Even when he emphatically tells them to be still, you would think that this is a freedom. You don't have to do anything. Just wait. And our little minds and our little actions, we want to say, no, 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 no. We know we can go do something. God says, no. Wait on me actively Seek me, pursue me. All you have to do is know me to prepare you for what is next. If they wait well, he says, God will clothe them. A few weeks ago, we talked about how the Lord wants us to strip off the old to put on the new. But look at what's meaningful here. Jesus came and wore the clothes of a human. So now when he leaves, he tells us that we will be adorned by his spirit. Isn't that a great picture? The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And now we bear the Spirit's presence as we go in his name. Jesus says his followers will be clothed with power from on high. He wants them to understand, don't go out on your own. Wait. For the Holy Spirit, going out in our own power is not the same. How are you waiting today for the Spirit to clothe you for something it is that he wants you to do? How do we wait today for the Spirit to come afresh with power in our lives? You see, we have to learn sometimes hard lessons about not going out on our own. Jesus promises to send the Spirit, so this is a good word for us to teach us to wait for him to fill us and clothe us before we head out. The third aspect Jesus is clear about is how he leaves in a definitive manner. He took them out to Bethany, which is the Mount of Olives. This is an obvious going away scene. They don't have to wonder anymore where he is. They don't have to wonder if he's going to come and join them again in their gathered meetings. As they watched, they understood this was goodbye for now. Hebrews 1.3 tells us a good word about where he went. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God, and he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. See, there's mystery here for us. We understand the human Jesus, 
The kingly one is a little harder for us to imagine. Now we see dimly. Soon we shall see face to face. We believe through faith that Jesus reigns. I've been thinking this week a little bit about what difference the ascension makes for us. Besides what we've discussed, one of the main realities is that in his physical body, Jesus could only minister to those that he came into contact with in his three years here. The ascension reminds us that from this point on, Jesus is back in the place where he is outside space and time, orchestrating events as he reigns. He is bringing life to all nations Comforting those in Manchester, empowering those in Santa Barbara, being with those who mourn in Egypt and Syria, directing those everywhere in Madagascar who go and bring hope in his name. As we have seen in these last few weeks, every aspect of the Easter story is necessary and unique. Necessary elements for us to understand and know and believe for our experience and our reality here. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me and for all who call on his name. The fourth aspect Jesus is clear about is how his blessing is for his people. This is a beautiful scene. Think of a memorable goodbye that you had. Sometimes I think about the last time that we saw my dad. We knew that he wasn't going to make it much longer. He died a week later. And he's standing in our driveway and waving, and we're driving away, and I'm like crying, and we're waving, and the last moment that we saw him. That's how memorable goodbyes are for us. We wait and we linger, straining for one last glimpse Or wanting to see the people that were leaving. Sometimes we wish that it wasn't happening. But look at what Luke records. Two significant things to notice here. One is that Jesus blessed them as he left. He praised God for them. He expressed his love for them. See how he raises his hands so they can see his nail-scarred hands. Their sin put him on the cross, but now they have received mercy, and he is blessing them. This is their benediction, their good word as he goes. The other significant aspect is that they worshiped him. As he is leaving, they honor him as Lord. They no longer see the earthly Jesus. He is the risen king, and he receives their worship while giving love to them. This is not a sad goodbye. There is gratefulness here and adoration and hope. Now all people can know God. Death is conquered because of Jesus. There is a sense of completion here and a new purpose given. The disciples go to continue worship, and Luke ends his book where he started it, in the temple. He began with Zechariah and the angel coming to meet him there. And now the disciples go to the temple to give praise and to seek God as they wait. We come to the sanctuary of the Lord to seek him while we wait for him to come again. The ascension is a mystery, but it should not lead us to confusion. Jesus needed to go so the spirit could come. 
He left so the church might be ushered in with power. He went back home so that he might truly be able to commune with every person on the planet until he comes again. And his transparency and how he does this gives us a clue as to who he is and what he expects of us as we go transparently into the world. At each part of the journey, Jesus has told them who he is and what they need to know for their next step. This helps us to be clear about who we are in him and what it is that he has for our life. Hear what Pope Francis has to say about the ascension. Jesus' ascension into heaven thus allows us to know this reality that is so consoling on our journey. In Christ, true God and true man, our humanity has been brought to God. He has opened the way. He is like the leader of a mountain climbing party that is roped together. He has reached the summit and pulls us to himself, leading us to God. If we entrust our lives to him, if we let ourselves be guided by him, we are certain of being safe in his hands. Amen. Let us pray.